Your art was the prettiest art of all the art. unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. <laughs> Welcome to a special Christmas edition of Magic Camp. We're coming to you live from the front lines of the war on Christmas. <laughs> um, you're just going to, yeah, you're going to have to wait and find out which side... It is that we, your counselors, are actually on. But I will just say that yesterday at Starbucks, I told the barista that my name was Santa Baby. So, and I, you should have seen the look on her face when she had to write that down in the cup. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil who's coming in in about an hour as a live guest. But uh, <coughs> Kirk Cameron. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the the coming Lord. <laughs> no. no. Oh well, that's too bad. Um, yeah. Okay. So. This is, uh, hopefully we can get this out before December 25th because we've got a lot of thoughts churning about this, our most precious holiday. The best holiday. Christmas. Critchus. Um, Ben, how you doing? Uh, fine. Um, yeah, fine. Um, I'm happy for the break. Happy for, very happy for Christmas break. Very happy for the holiday season. It's, it's wonderful, and I love it, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, happy Christmas, Harry. Thank you. Um, yeah, doing well. Thinking and doing some art as usual. I had a bit of a dark night of the soul about art recently, and maybe I'll talk about Okay. Trying to figure out what what the heck was this all for, man? So. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a great still, place to do it. Still unsure, yeah. This is a good place to do it because... Um, well, I'll get into that into a, in a little bit, but I I'm on the same page. Definitely needed this break after a long semester of online teaching and other stuff. It's been quite the year, to say the least. We don't want to belabor that point too much, How but do you, mean? Um, you know, with the Super Bowl and yeah. everything that happened this summer with. The murder hornets. <laughs> um, God, that feels like forever ago. Murder yeah. hornets. It's all a blur. So, actually, that brings me to my next point, which is, I don't know about everybody else, all the campers in the audience, but this particular December, November, I feel like post-election, not that the election brought any great jubilee. I mean, it was certainly a relief. A relief. Um but, and then everything that has followed it since, and just kind of the crazy making that that has been, the virus stuff that everything has been going through, it's certainly nothing less than a collective dark night of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen some murmurs of this online. I don't want this to sound like some some pithy think piece in the Atlantic or something like that, although there was a really good piece in The New Yorker about this. Um of the meaning of Advent, Advent, what is it? What is the liturgical calendar in historical Christianity? Well, we'll work through all of the important holidays today. No, that's not what we're going to do, but... It'll be like Holiday in the Movie with Bing Crosby, 
where they go through all the uh, holidays, including Lincoln's birthday. And, and there's we blackface. like him, we'll do blackface, yeah. Wait, oh. Or are we cutting that? I From from Holiday Inn? Yeah. Oh, we're cutting the blackface, though, I mean. <laughs> yes. Because we're, we're on mic anyways, it's a podcast. And, right. Yeah. Come on, man. We can't even put that Tell idea me, in their heads. You're talking about Bing Crosby can do it, and we can't. <laughs> Yes, he's Bing Crosby. He really does. Although it. they've probably no, I remember I've seen it. It's very vivid. It's in my probably memory. if you don't have the DVD, I I wouldn't be surprised if it they has been it. exhumed from from streaming versions. It's such a film. throwaway scene, anyways. Right. Not ne- totally not necessary. It's very racist. The For, whole thing. I'm not surprised. Yeah. The whole movie is racist. No, yeah. I mean the whole culture that it came from is, but yeah, yeah, of course. Well, we can talk about Holiday Inn uh, next year. Okay. Um. I won't give away my whole thesis. I don't even necessarily know if I have a thesis, but I will say that unintentionally, unbeknownst to me, I have found this particular Christmas season especially meaningful or especially not, not in the sense of, you know, all the, all the, the hustle and bustle, the hustle and bustle (laughs) and the. The glitz and the glamour and the oh yeah, let me get my packages. And let me say this. It's a it's a odd year and I think somebody can do it. I will give one hundred dollars to any pastor who doesn't use the phrase hustle and bustle <laughs> in their Christmas sermon. I'm putting it on the table. See right see here. that's the thing though, is that ha, ah, this speaks to my point, is because that isn't a part of the conversation this year. It can't be. The hustle and bustle has been removed from our actual experience and therefore removed from the slate of stupid, shallow, meaningless metaphors which we, on both sides or anywhere, place upon Christmas and, you know, the ritual and the symbolic sort of meaning that it has. Stupid ways of avoiding the point. Avoiding the point of um, even the people who say that they're saying something, who think they have it figured out, mm-hmm. that, you know, Christmas, oh, that's hustle and bustle. It's the, this is not what Christmas is about. Well, it's not about what you're saying it is either. No. That's why I should have my own church. Um, no, I'm, I'm not going to rant about this yet, but um, that's a good point. So my whole point here is to kind of dive into some of these things that we take for granted every year because Christmas just kind of descends upon us and we do what we can with it. Whether we like it or not, it is undoubtedly the most important holiday in the American calendar, the liturgical calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really think much about that sort of thing because we don't have a liturgical foundation in this country. That mm-hmm. That's part of the after effect of Protestantism is that holidays don't really matter that much, that ritual and, and symbolism are stripped from the, the spiritual lexicon. Yeah, and uh, less days off. Thank yep. you. Right. All those uh, lazy peasants before the Reformation just laying about drunkenly yep. on like 200 holidays out of the year. That's what it's like in Italy. Much better without it, though. Without the holidays? Yeah. We yeah. get more done. We get a lot more we done. We get a lot more done. That's true. Um, I'm a lot more fit. 
than I would be. Uh, okay, so let's start out with a couple of classic Christmas images. Uh, I say we haven't really talked about Norman Rockwell on this podcast, which I think is mm -hmm. probably for the best, honestly. I've actually but, thought about doing a Norman Rockwell. Which we should do. I, in fact, fraught, yeah. you know. He's certainly fraught. I think that we should do a Rockwell and a Kincaid episode, but maybe we can do a both. Uh, we can give a little taste test here. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, we'll start with Rockwell. So here, let me let me take it take it away here. Take over the trackpad, Paul. Oh, look at him go. Sorry, I'm not good at this. I still use a a Dell. <laughs> Wiggle it around so you can see where it is. There you go. Okay, so this isn't exactly the best way of doing this, but it wasn't really compiled in any other way. Oh, how do you click through? Here we go. So let's just kind of st stroll through some uh, classic Norman Rockwell paintings of Christmas. So what do we have here? This is uh, Chris Kringle sitting at his desk, and he seems to be reading Christmas, le I think, letters from children probably, mm -hmm. pen in hand. Halo. He has a halo. See? I don't know about that. See, that's interesting. He's also apparently works for the U.S. Mail. Oh, okay. That's just the mail bag. No, it was brought to him. That would that would have been an interesting twist. That technically Santa Claus is a government employee. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Mail carriers are saints. Especially Agreed. after this very important I watch election. my mailman outside my window every single day. And just, I'm in awe of the guy. Do you? Yeah. 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 It's kind of creepy, but that's fine. Um... Okay, so here we have what appears to be a bumbling husband struggling to get Christmas lights on the tree. It's called bourbon... No, that's just the name of the Pinterest recipe. Um, <laughs> that this is accompanying. But uh, here we have, like I said, kind of the trope of the Christmas story style father, perhaps, um, mm -hmm. wrestling with the... Difficult Christmas tree. Um, skip. Skip. Oh, he just skipped over a real nice beagle. That's okay. Keep going. Uh, see, none of these are really jumping out at me as... as okay, here we go. Um, this looks like a sort of a scene straight out of Charles Dickens and, and not anywhere in America ever. No. Um, we have a caroler, we have a guy playing a fiddle. We have I can a... tell because there's beautiful buildings in the background. Right. Um, which actually is another thing that this looks like it could come out of Dickens. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to talk about Christmas Carol, but I do think it's good. It's a good piece of Christmas art. Yeah. Before, here's the thing, Christmas art wasn't necessarily a thing. It w it wouldn't have been an expectation for their for you to have a lexicon of different pieces of Christmas media that you can consume. Yeah. In order to that that we're just supposed to know about. Right. You know. So Charles Dickens' A Christmas Story, which is now something we consider canonical Christ Christmas spirit information, is Christmas data was at one point original. Yeah. Right? A great story about uh, the importance of not working as hard. 100%. Yep. Yep. It's it's a class it's a class parable yeah. in many ways. Yeah. As many of Dickens's 
writings are. Um, okay, we can be done with Norman Rockwell, but uh, my whole point... Okay, see, this is another good one. So I actually saw... Uh, this is more of a... This oh, gets more touted as a Thanksgiving pick. Right. But, which I don't know what it is supposed to be. Ooh, but. Somebody put together an awesome website that I should have found before of all the... Uh, Norman Rockwell Christmas paintings. Um, so this is a classic Chris Rockwell painting you've probably seen before, which I actually saw at the Denver Art Museum um, with a person who I, whose name, who I won't name on the podcast four months ago. Um, and um, who, uh, or it, it was kind of wrestling with the Rockwell legacy in a way that I think was pretty well done, but also... A little heavy-handed but Rockwell was essentially commissioned by various magazines life magazines or life magazine to create these images of Americana mm -hmm. right of which served the purpose of reflecting American values back to itself yeah back to us and this one in particular was was somewhat controversial because people thought it was it, it de depicted um, Kind of gluttony and excess but other people loved it so this is a, a mother serving a giant turkey on christmas eve or something like that but if you look a little closer this meal there's nothing there it's just the turkey mm -hmm. it's a turkey on a sparse spare white tablecloth so this this picture of of plenty of american plenty is kind of perfect in that it it's not plentiful in the in the slightest. Yeah. There's nothing other than the craven hunger on the looks of the kids' faces. There's nothing celebratory or even particularly indulgent about what's happening in the painting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a nice little metaphor. Um, you know what? I have this idea for a piece where it's like it kind of recreates this scene, except she's like bringing this tray and like lifting the lid off, and it's McDonald's in there. Dude, that's so good. No, it's Uber Eats. Oh, it's an Uber Eats bag. Wow, that that would be perfect for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here we have. Are you we're sign on up to our this newsletter or no? Okay, I should get on the. That would be fun. Just, just read what's on the Thomas Kincaid Christmas uh, newsletter. Yeah. So here we are. Uh, ah, he sucks. He's so bad. Okay, tell me more. This is such a profanity to look at. Kincaid after Rockwell. Go ahead. E even if you want to call Rockwell... Go off. Kitsch. Yeah. That's good kitsch versus shit kitsch. And this is shit-ass kitsch. There we go. This is so poorly done. Right. Such a bad painting. Right. Sorry. No, that's that's fine. See, I, I don't necessarily have as so keen, poorly keen of an eye for that. It's so um, badly designed, even. I mean, Rockwell's like a master of design, let alone painting... Right, sure. These are also... Yeah, compositionally, they're far more interesting yeah. than what's going on here. They're just like, you take out your iPhone and take a picture of a house and and then go paint it later. Um, and these have great... Let's read the Kincaid quotes. quotes accompanying them. You <laughs> want to read this one? When I think of the glory of Christmas, I think of the radiant sunsets that set the snowy world aglow at the time of the year. The luminous golden color of the sunset in the Christmas tree cottage is a vibrant reminder that the glory of the season truly comes from God alone. He wait, said wait, that wait, wait. How? Was... What? <laughs> Go he ahead. Said, he said that while doing a line of coke. Yeah. 
No, it's 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 off of prostitutes' buttocks. Right. No, he's got it all. He's got it all down. Um, and and see, this is a a good illustration of of kind of what I'm getting at here is the sort of progression of a sort of symbol network of symbols and um, aesthetic expectations that eventually become entrenched entrenched to the point that they're meaningless they're fl- yeah just floating signifiers just like exactly a whore a horsey in snow is supposed to mean something spiritual right yeah which eventually you know that even loses its meaning yeah right all, all this does probably for a modern viewer is evoke nostalgia mm-hmm. evoke an empty nostalgia which is not necessarily always the worst thing to evoke you know i have to sort of weigh this against the the human experience of actually you know thinking about the past thinking about simpler times being grateful for all the all that has come and gone yeah but that's not what jesus wanted man (laughs) (laughs) that's that's not my point well here's a the quote goes right with that one Many elements of an earlier and simpler time survived in my boyhood hometown. Rustic scenes like a Christmas welcome where houses wait patiently at a split rail fence while their riders enjoy holiday festivals in a rustic stone cottage are treasured memories. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. Let's say, okay, if 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 this were 2016 and people were saying, how did we get here? How did we get to this this horrible moment where we have... Donald Trump in the White House spouting Make America Great Again rhetoric. We can look at Thomas Kincaid as the as the mascot, the aesthetic mascot living for, in, for this. this the, his supporters living in McMansion versions of these never-existing homes, yeah. little quaint cottages that the only, the only near reality there is to them is their, like, blown-up, grotesque version in the suburbs right, of Dallas. Right, right suburb yeah uh-huh this is actually okay this is actually perfect christmas is the season of light which i've never heard well he's it's... the painter of light so i oh, think okay. he's going for a little thing there i got you yeah and the hue that permeates memories of christmas we should have been describing these paintings you you get the gist it's dark there's snow the houses radiate there are horses for some reason horses and also cars is the rosy glow of sunset. The nostalgic vision of life <laughs> is often described as seeing the ro- the world through rose-colored glasses. That's so funny. This celebration of community set in simpler times is perhaps best through best viewed through such tinted lenses. That's the thing. That's why Kincaid is a reactionary asshole. Right. Is he can't even hold his worldview honestly can only be by refraction right. of like, oh, people think we're, right. you know, us country simple folk or, yep. you know, we're just simple. We see the world, you know, as a good place for rose tinted glasses. Well, you know, gosh darn well, it, gosh we darn do. it, we do. So they cannot just like securely live in the worldview. It has to be right. defensive. It's yep. negatively defined against, oh, well, you know, this is what the, the people on the coast think of us. Right. 100%. And... And Kincaid paintings are a sort of, well, maybe not for everybody, but you could view them as a sort of middle finger in a way. As a the reactionary, man, yeah. like, even if you don't really realize it when you're looking at it. 
Yeah. Like you, you that's hanging in your family members. Yeah. Mantle. There's no like, I don't have any quarrel with anyone who would like want to <laughs> look at these. I mean, it's just so much of it is just style and time, right? Like and trend that it's like there's I, I, there's nothing to say about someone who actually looks at this and goes like, oh, it's so pretty, but the mind that actually self consciously puts this out is so disgusting, right? And that helps to it helps to know his biography. Such a bad person. Yeah, he was not a good good dude. Yeah. So, last Kincaid quote here. Of all the holiday rituals, the one I prize the most is the coming together of loved ones in shared celebration. What? Just kidding, no. Um, (laughs) Even if our family circle is small, the Christmas season can become a benchmark of friendship, a time when we pause to savor traditions of comfort and joy. No! Okay, maybe at the end of it, but this is maybe my next point is that's not necessarily what liturgically speaking or or symbolically I'm not going to lean on the traditional Christian liturgy as as the truth of this but what the like I said symbology of the Christmas narrative expresses has nothing to do with joy yeah. at least not in its in its actual progression right or comfort it's death and suffering and right. meaninglessness. Right. You know, so you having a dark night of the soul and going through it, it's it's finding yourself in, in a the midst of a ter- interminable night. Yeah. Darkness everywhere. Right. And for some reason, some inexplicable uh act of God now I'm going all Baptist preacher on you um, there is there is a glimmer a glimmer of hope mm-hmm. um, so we can move on from that rant but that maybe is like with Kincaid and and with with the war on Christmas when people say put the Christ back in Christmas what do you mean what, what does that actually mean <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Put the put the guy back in the little crib and means your Christmas remember li- means you're about being nice to everybody. Christmas lights should say Noel. They should say Noel. As a, as opposed to what? Well, Noel is a, is a very important word. Oh, if it not Santa, you know. Yeah, they don't shouldn't say don't put Santa on your on your Christmas don't card. Don't put Santa on there. Right. Um, okay, so here we have, I'm going to open a couple things. So we have kind of a compilation of Christian art, not Christian art, sorry, art that actually sort of historically is related to Christmas or to the Christmas season asking, has it ever been possible to make for there to be good art related to Christmas? Good Christmas art. Good classic Christian art. Excuse me, Christmas art, um, which again is kind of in in service of the thesis that I eventually want to express. Thesis is not the right word, but essentially that the aesthetic structure 
of you know, the aesthetic, aesthetic system of what we explain or understand to be Christmas images and icons should be destroyed. Hmm. Yeah. And how do we do dude, that? Dude, except for Die Hard. Yeah, dude. That's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it okay. is. It is. It actually is. So, but that's that's that actually is something we could talk about. What does it look like to mm-hmm. sort of distort or destroy, reimagine the traditional iconography of Christmas to the point where the it isn't meaningless. It isn't simply empty signifiers which entrench and flatter the person who is encountering them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all... Um... A lot of people, we can talk about this more, will, okay, replacing imagery is one thing, but just doing away with it is another. A lot of people are going to have the opportunity, possibly for the first time ever, not to go to a Christmas service. Yes. Which will be very interesting. And as I've thought about how bad of a hit our church is going to take from COVID, Mm -hmm. this could be bad. Definitely. In that, oh, there's... The whole country or a huge part of the country just says, guess we're not doing it this year. We're not going to do the whole stupid streaming thing and pretend it's the same. Very interesting then what happens after they cross that line. Totally. That's actually what started this whole train of thought for me was this, well, I've been thinking about this stuff, but this particular New Yorker piece contextualizes the plague in in interesting ways. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. New Yorker moment. Um... So the plague, there have been several plagues throughout history, right? Throughout human history. But there was one in particular, which I had never heard of. I can't remember what it's called. Bubonic. Not that one. The Marvel Universe. That's Does that happen? That's a plague on <laughs> society. Up top. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, no, this, is, this would have been in the very kind of early century, like 136. I know what you're talking about, it, yeah. but I don't know the word for it yet. <laughs> I really do. I, okay, that's fine. All right. Yeah. So it's a plague that happened in the Roman Empire yeah. in like 135 BC. 135. So, so this... <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll even look at so the So this name. is early, early, early church, right? Yeah. And there's a plague that's hitting that I think some, the, I think the statistic was something like 60% of the population died. Antonine plague? Yeah, the Antonine sure. plague? Yeah. I'll plague see. of Galen? Yeah, that's it. Yep. So this is in the very early years, early days of Christianity, of course. And to their credit, to their infinite credit, the Christian church, the forming Christian church, was the, they were the ones who were advocating for care for the sick, right? Mm -hmm. For, For creating some sort of proactive strategy to bury the dead, to... Yeah. Administer care because it was it was a part of the the burgeoning religion. Like yeah. and it was a it was a real thing. Whereas yeah. I, I don't know if you could say this wholesale, but the the pagans of the day were fleeing the cities. Boo. Boo. <laughs> no, you're not welcome here. <laughs> um so they were getting out of Dodge and, and so more pagans died because they weren't being cared for. I don't really understand how that worked. They didn't have as as kind of uh, intentional of a system of dealing with this as much as like the church communities did, basically. So 
this plague is credited as something that both expanded Christianity because more Christians survived it, but also because it was an actual representation of care for others and spread the popularity of Christianity as something somewhat revolutionary mm -hmm. or new or different. Interesting. On the contrary, the 2020 plague of COVID, yes. we have pretty much the opposite predicament happening. What are you talking about? The Democratic Party is going to cut us a $600 check. <laughs> I said 600 and send a quarter billion dollars to overthrow the Venezuelan government. Yeah. Which dude, really I, helps. Yeah. Dude, I spend $600 on Air Force Ones every, <laughs> every year. <laughs> That's hardly enough to cover my shoe budget. Um, okay, so to your point, it could be the literal opposite. I mean, and, and it should be. Like, and this, this is part of my developing idea that I'm trying to thread through other episodes that we are very much in the midst of a, what is probably a complete disappearance, if not, um, complete transformation of what we understand to be Christianity or religion. I mean, it's already been going in that direction, but if not a, a complete schism, then the formation of another religion entirely. You know, like that... Q-E-anity, the Church of Q. The Church of Q and the Church of... of That'll be half. No Mask. The Church of... Yeah. But bark, in, bark at your, your parishioners for wearing masks and get them all into church... Mm -hmm. and say, screw COVID, God will take care of me. That'll be another church. That'll be something else. Yeah. And then you may have something that forms in the, in the aftermath, right? Yeah. So as far as metaphors go, and this will not get any traction, it will maybe perhaps be a pithy, like I said, um, headline in a New York Times article, will be an image of an empty church on Christmas right mm -hmm. yeah. of a pastor breaking bread on zoom in an empty gothic imitate imitative gothic church somewhere yeah. so to me that is a tr that is an actual metaphor that could work mm. you know what i mean yeah that is a symbol that means something because you have to actually identify and create meaning associated with it yeah. It actually challenges and triggers the human imagination to consider another way of seeing the world, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, at least that's how I'm viewing it, as opposed to the Christmas Im images that we traditionally have, which are um, primarily, like I'm saying, empty, empty signifiers. Okay, so we got a nice little Monet here, Christmas. Um, Bit of a stretch. It's just snowy. It's snowy, not necessarily Christmassy. Um, there's a nice little. Well, I mean, Monet was French. He wasn't Christian. He's French. <laughs> right. This is definitely we're getting into as far as Magic Camp goes. We're in our in our bag right now with Christian stuff. But you're you like Casper David Friedrich, right? Sure. Haven't you talked about him before? I don't think so, but this is a very nice piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a sort of cathedral looming in the distance and in the 
foreground, we have a very sparse, spare crucifix and a, what appears to be a little boy before it. Peeing on... Is that Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes peeing on the cross? <laughs> Just kidding. No. This is the first Calvin Calvin peeing meme. Um, no, but, I mean, f- let's look at this from a... Strictly from a, symbol, a symbolic perspective. Good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? You have, like, the mirror image of the faint church against the the tree of equal size. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's... I didn't notice that. That's perfect. And... And what is happening is a sort of natural natural encounter with the divine, whatever yeah. you want to call it, yeah. in in stark opposition to the contrived man made symbolic representation of, of religion. Yeah. Right? And I think it's tiny Tim. Look, oh, it's Tiny Tim. He's his crutches. Oh, I think it is Tiny Tim. Not eighteen eleven. When was Christmas? No, that would have been before. Um, I like that one with the cow at the uh, manger scene. Mm. <laughs> Looking at glowing, the glowing baby. Oh my gosh! Literally sizzling. He looks like a. <laughs> he looks like a rotisserie. <laughs> he looks like a, a skillet of fajitas, like <laughs> just like popping off the pan. Yeah. It's like when they bring it through at Chili's. Um, mm-hmm. Well, no, that's that's getting at a, at something too, though, right? That even the animals, even the cows, um, came to came to adore. Who we got? We got Fra Angelico here. Um, I think I've seen that painting. You know what? I know you're going here, but... Ooh. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Peter the El- or Peter Bruegel. I think we should talk about him at some point. There's actually a great painting to, that we could accompany with this one. That is uh, the triumph of... It's called the triumph of death. So he's known for these basically sort of very zoomed out landscapes... Mm-hmm. That are also kind of social, yeah, like urban scapes, urban, yeah, urban landscapes, basically with different societies where there are people over here. Who, they're like almost proto uh, where's Waldo's, <laughs> and there are people over here about a fire. There are people ice skating. There are very Wes Anderson. Yes, very Wes Anderson for sure. But the difference between Wes Anderson and Peter Bruegel the Elder would be that Wes Anderson is using that aesthetic in some way in service of a narrative that focuses on on a couple of people versus a general aesthetic vision which says, like, human beings are just shuffling towards their death, like, dancing on the ice. Because all, like, when you put the collective of all of his paintings together, they all just give you this feeling of, of this zoomed out sort of meaningless... Ants in a... yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. Ants on a landscape. Ants a- ants in an ant hill. Nice. But it's also very beautiful at the same time. Yeah. It, it straddles that line, which we keep coming back to with Merton and Jiangsu. And it's that paradox between 
meaning and meaninglessness. Absolutely. Which is that what should, Christmas should be expressing go, as well. Going to him. The only thing I was going to say, I know this is where you're going with it. I hadn't really had too much time to process it, which is too bad. And maybe maybe I'll take some time to think about it. But um, just how, like, missing the mark or missing the point of the thing that's right in front of you of the theology that is on offer in the idea of Christmas, the incarnation, is completely missed and completely obscured through orthodoxy or by the people who patrol the lines of orthodoxy Mm -hmm. in a way that you can't like you're not going to get it unless you're ready to profane the orthodox idea Hmm. and then you actually get the idea yes real idea right exactly i haven't thought that much about christmas in that way i think it's a lot easier to to get at or i have gotten at it more like with, with the crucifixion of like how how much the orthodox mind is keeps that at arm's length right the idea of like <laughs> your god got 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 you yeah. know, like yeah. got murked right. and you you have to deal with the profanity of that and let right. somebody absolutely rub your god's face in the mud right that's what happens in the gospel right like god yeah. god gets killed right and actually be able to face that in all of its profanity in order to get the actual yeah. the true core of it yes same with the same with that's the exactly incarn- what i'm getting at here and I, I, I haven't i haven't been able to express it that way but that is a perfect word for it is that the the act itself the story itself is became myth or became when i say myth I don't mean, I don't mean it didn't happen. I mean, it became the myth, the mythological part of the mythological framework of Christianity. It's a, stu- yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It became that because it was in some way exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That a myth, if it's powerful, if it's going to mean anything, it has to profane our human experience in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to, it has to reconfigure the human imagination. Yeah. So what it does now does not do that. No. Although I would, my own counter to myself is that it can because it is a good story. Yeah. It is a good, there are elements to it that can resist, resist all of the, the, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Bastardizations Uh, of it or the chicanery. Right. Uh, Something you said to me. I don't know if it was earlier in the app, but um, basically, like the Advent story is a little bit harder for evangelicals to screw up, yeah, compared to Good Friday mm-hmm. or Easter. Possibly part of that is because um, because Easter is so much the key that lets you turn the clock back, right, on Good Friday and ignore the entire thing, yeah, of like, did no 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 no. No, no, no. Like it, it. That's not the way it finishes. I mean, it's the it's the linchpin of the entire dogma. Right. So, so it has to be. It has to say a certain thing. Right. Whereas, <laughs> Christmas doesn't have a thing that comes right. three days later. That was like, just kidding. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It does, although it, no, it does. It does have. It does have the virgin birth though. It doesn't. It doesn't that's change true. it. But it had. They both have. That's, that's why true. they're the two big ones because they that's both true. have, the m- big leap. 
the big leap of of it doesn't yeah intellectual it doesn't quite belief. count because of the virgin birth that's that's tempering your expectations up front right that this isn't we're not saying <laughs> like yeah that, that god would profane god's self in this way mm. because because it was a sterile room we cleaned the whole room like <laughs> and it was cool it was cool i had never thought of it that way <laughs> no like I, I, if if the nativity story removed the idea that mary was a virgin and just said god had sex with mary <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah you're right no that's a good point but all right Keep going. Yeah. Some seeds, so so some that's seeds here. that's what we'll, we can keep coming back to that. Yeah. Right. Because I think that is the central focal point here, um, which I don't necessarily have any good answers for. So in, again, this is reminding me of what you just said about Carva or, or about Kincaid. Like I've never seen this before, but it is the nativity of Saint Francis with Saint Lawrence Caravaggio. So like to me, I can't say for sure, but it's like Caravaggio probably did this while he was like, he was having sex with somebody like <laughs> yeah. at the same time, you know, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, yeah, there's some. Like, it's a little. It's a some, little some lazier than a lot of on his door. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little lazier than his other stuff, but oh, and this is one more. Wait a minute. Where was it? Not that one. Not that one crud what am i looking for oh here it is so this is called the procession of the magi and i don't necessarily want to talk about anything um in particular here about the painting itself other than the i've seen this painting i'm waiting for you to be impressed um what's up <laughs> seeing this painting it's in florence it's in a Looks, what is formerly a looks to me like it's in the Wikipedia Commons. That's true, asshole. Well, which totally defeats the purpose <laughs> that you idiots can see this. No, so it's in a it's in a in interior chapel of a private residence, mm. or what was formerly a private residence, but that is now a museum. But it's it was a Medici apartment essentially. Yeah. So this painting, this entire painting, this timeless work of art was painted for one family. Yeah. One family at the at the peak of the Renaissance or the early Renaissance in Florence. Which again, this is a separate thing, but this was what I was kind of thinking about with after reading the Christmas Carol and maybe this is the first moment of Christmas becoming commercialized. Ooh. Could be that if Christmas in its in its at its core is a socialist communist holiday yeah um check out saint nick on that right cool dude yeah and now we have the procession of the magi who are going to adore the infant godhead or just not quite the godhead but the infant christ watch yourself <laughs> and and it and it exists for the richest people in all of Europe to, to ponder privately. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's pretty sick though. I will say, um, okay. Oh, actually, wait a minute. Let's go back to that. So this kind of brings me to my next point. Um, 
which I, I don't necessarily think that this example of it is particularly good, but I was just reading through this here. So this kind of tethers back to some, some of our previous conversations about um, the futurists. We haven't had a Dada's episode yet, but manifestos and about avant-garde art, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is avant-garde. An... Hmm. Interesting word there. Keep going. Which part? The avant. avant. <laughs> I'm assuming it shares some etymology with advant. It could. I'm pretty sure it does. Keep well, let's look, look, let's look that up. Get your phone out and check that out. Yeah. Um, so this is some artistic movement that we're probably not aware of because it probably never made much of an impact. Maybe it was popular at the time. They were called the Fluxus Collective. I don't know of them. So they were, I think, kind of, you know, 50s, 60s, post-Dadaist, post all those guys, but still very much part of the sort of revolutionary radical yeah postmodern art scene um one person who was yoko ono was actually a part of the movement before meeting john lennon but so this is their manifesto it's it's pretty much all the same boiler boilerplate manifesto essentially for artistic manifesto and that's not necessarily my point here but these artists as a part of one of their kind of projects, one of their avant-garde ideas was to um, sort of through their art sort of profane Christmas, to profane holidays as a way. This is the war on Christmas. This is what we're talking about, people. Which is exactly what we're advocating for. Um, So their manifesto is, like I said, pretty boilerplate. just a couple snippets here. Purge the world of bourgeois sickness, intellectual and professional and commercialized culture. Purge the world of dead art, imitation, artificial art, abstract art, illusionist art, mathematical art. Purge the world of Europeanism. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly. Or Euro, Europeanism. Europeanism. What does that mean? I don't know exactly. Okay, so, and and it's kind of, I guess the name Fluxus, we could probably guess, is derived from this idea of, okay, so active flowing, continuous moving, passing by, flowing stream, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So this then, you can probably see where this is going. They're coming up with these kind of pithy ideas. They're not necessarily very good. We don't have to get into all of them. But with something like a religious holiday, something like a cultural national holiday, why is this not part of the conversation you know or that would be my my question would be that these are the sort of artistic aesthetic collective experiences that we that we still have as little as we have in this country of those things this you're saying specific no i'm i'm saying christmas okay christmas it these are shared culture shared cultural aesthetic experiences it's one of the only ones we have yeah actually national culture and i would say it it is like yes one of the if you go to other countries they have more they're not as pronounced but they have more holidays and they have more traditions yeah um especially in catholic countries but so the point being this is fair game yeah this this is fair game for an avant-garde artist yeah yeah it almost seems just banal or boring to to think about it in that way 
Mm-hmm. But couldn't you also make the argument that these things, because they do have such a powerful hold on the American Christian Amer- imagination, that they should be the first targets in a way? Targets. Here I am setting the sights, <laughs> dialing in my scope on Christmas. <laughs> Headshot. He's, Bang. he's ready to purge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I don't have a vision. I've been thinking about this for about 48 hours, so it's <laughs> it's hasn't actually uh, for, formed too deeply. Okay, so, like, there, there are... Here's the thing. Uh, let me... Uh, I think one way we could steer is, like, there's... Like we're, we've been joking about the war on Christmas, like, there's a very f- funny and kind of shallow critiques coming from the religious right about how culture is... Has a has a commercialistic right and fleeting view of Christmas, and that's not what it's about, mm-hmm. and that's what every sermon is going to right. try and prey upon. Um, I think the angle we want to take is like the people who have it most wrong is the is the Christians and the pastors, right? Yeah, right. Like even as much as you want to say about like just the commercialization of Christmas, like okay, like leaving that aside. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have like the inner circle completely missing the point. Like right. the, the people who say they care. Right. So yes, that, I mean, the, now we're opening the can of worms here the, the, of, and not to go, if we're going to go down that route of talking about theology and Christian narratives and stuff like that, um, we can come back to that, but, it seems like we keep coming back to this idea of of these narratives that become through repetition and through indoctrination sterile, toxic, meaningless, right? Um, I've been reading Alan Watts. Anybody who's listening who knows Alan Watts is probably like, this explains a lot. <laughs> and he, he says just kind of as a one-off in one of his books, he says, I think... If I if I had it my way, we would lock up we would lock up the Bible every two hundred years for two hundred years. <laughs> you know, nobody can touch it, nobody can read it. Yeah. Nobody can look at it. Because the problem is that it's it, maybe the problem is that we have the holiday every year. You know? Right. That it that we we don't we don't know what it means. Yeah. And what I again what I what I'm not saying is it means love. It means well, okay, it does, but it means all these different things. I'm saying I don't know what it means. I'm yeah. saying I'm saying I'm saying it should through the evolution of human activity and behavior <laughs> take on new meaning. Right? And we have to reinvent meaning, reinvent symbols, create new architecture to fit the experience of our current condition. Yeah. Definitely. Do you buy that? I do, and it, I mean this is obviously, and it ties in. It ties into what we've talked about a little bit before. Of like, is it possible to switch from and or to like uh, wean ourselves off of the crack of like an ideas-based culture, mm-hmm. obsessively fixated on ideas, and no, no one is more guilty than the evangelical church of mm-hmm. like everything we are is about these ideas right we are the we are these ideas but you could say that about so much more of culture and policing the borders of those ideas and 
who signs up and who doesn't. Um, and just as a hypothetical, like, is it possible to arrange a, a community around something other than ideas? Mm. Like maybe a shared imagery? Mm-hmm. Christmas is actually getting close to that in a lot of ways and shows you that it does work in a lot of ways. Right. Like, exactly. You know what? Like, right. you can actually bind people together by something as simple as, like, pretty lights. As a, a tree. Time of as year. a tree. Right. Put a tree, a tree inside. Right. You know? That's so much more enduring than, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's exactly that's exactly the point. Like, right. we take for granted, whoops, the fact that every year we put a fucking tree inside our house. Right. Right? We, we put a pine tree indoors and put lights on it. Yeah. Not that that's, oh, it's so extreme, so absurd. It's a meaningless gesture which we collectively decide has meaning yeah and decide to to associate some some level of those beauty are, and importance those are the only parts of christmas that are working are specifically the things that are the most like pagan ironically right. of like yeah it's just something we do it's just like, something we just put a tree in there right yeah <laughs> could you please put the tree in there it's december right um <laughs> where's my tree (laughs) no that's oh my god that it's crazy like the effect on consciousness yeah in a way yeah yeah i didn't have a christmas tree two weeks ago and i was like god damn it i need a christmas tree yeah obviously that's a number of different complexes working at once but yeah um Um, so i have another side point we can come back to the main main idea here starting with um so, so, like, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? the fact that we have this network of symbols associated with Christmas that, for the most part, is banal, meaningless, not meaningless, but, like, dead in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, and it's tedious. Christmas is, everybody likes to joke about how holidays are tedious for all these different reasons. Um and I think there are attempts. It's a we, lot of hustle and bustle. It's a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> but today, in what some people are calling the new normal, uh, yeah, you have to ask. Sorry, go on. But what is the new normal? Will we have our hustle and bustle? Hmm. Maybe we should get rid of the bustle and keep the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> um, Magic camp powering the new normal. Nice. We should get Common to do an intro for us. (laughs) Um, So, like, take something like Ugly Sweaters. That's so funny. (laughs) Have you seen it? This is my ugly Christmas sweater. It has a a moose. (laughs) And here's a little Santa. It's so ugly. Mine has Bill Murray on it. I'm so goofy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mine's just bacon. Yes. Oh, I want that sweater. Um, so what is that? I mean, obviously it's just dumb and lame, but it's also a half-assed attempt to do the thing that we're talking about, mm-hmm. which, or at least to go halfway and ironize or impose irony on these things, on these symbols that I'm talking about. We don't need to get too into this, but my idea is essentially like not going to work. 
not going to work, mm-hmm. you know, as long as it's still referencing the same, same thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's, what is this episode 10 for us? I can't believe it's taken this long for me to bring up David Foster Wallace. <laughs> um, do go so, ahead. Well, okay. So he, he's all about the, the irony, sincerity conflict or question, you know, mm-hmm. he's writing in the nineties. So it was a different kind of irony. A lot of it feels quaint compared to things we deal with now, but essentially he argues in favor of a, of sincerity, right? Of a sincerity that trans- transcends self-satisfying, self-referential, self-protective irony. This is a separate conversation from what we're talking about. But my point, again, when it comes to something like Christmas, is not to that to impose a, or exp- create some sort of avant-garde, profane iconography. Is not to ironize it or to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. So this is not a not that kind of war on Christmas. You don't have to worry about that in Middle America if that's where you're listening from. We're not making fun of you. No, we're dead in the middle. We're we're smack dab in the center. Yo, this come is, at me like this is mathematically the center, right? For sure. And also in other ways, we're in the center. Yeah, that's true. So no, not quite. But um, well, I mean, in American terms, yeah. In, yeah. in absolute terms, yes. In absolute terms, sorry. <laughs> Relative terms, no. I don't know what you're talking about. The the point is to is to seek excluding Wallace's opinions. I'm not basing this idea off that. It's to seek a new sincerity. Is to seek a new love. Yeah. Right. So, what I've been saying about Christmas being meaningful right now, for me, of of ad advent of darkness, dark long dark winter night. It's an opportunity, right? COVID, all this stuff is an opportunity to not only create a new iconography, but to strive for a true love. I don't know how that looks. You better say something ironic so people don't make fun of you. No, that's your job. (laughs) I just did. Um, Yeah. No. Okay. No, I like that. And there's, there's two veins I'm thinking of. Um, going with this, I, I mean, not to step on any toes, um, but there's two interesting things you brought up. The first off is like, yeah, how to redevelop a culture, uh, how to rebuild a culture because we're basically at the point of cultural collapse. Yeah. Christmas is probably one of those only things where like imagery Mm -hmm. and shared, shared ideas or yeah, I mean, sure, shared language actually spans it an area that covers this whole country right part of the whole absurdity with like having a president is that it's it's such a depoliticized thing basically we're just electing a cheerleader Mm -hmm. we're just doing like who's the like who's going to be the prom queen this year who's Mm -hmm. the one who represents our voice right is going to say the things that we like that of course no one person is going to cover all of america Mm -hmm. it's a massive country that is here because we wanted all this space and, right. and we got went out and got it and killed a bunch of people to get it. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to have one cheerleader to represent all of us. Obviously, it's never going to happen. Like, there's so few things that cover our 
one national culture like Christmas does. And it, and it doesn't for anyone who didn't grow up here, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but still it, it comes closer than anything else. Mm. But the only ways that it does is in more non-ideological ways, mm. like I would say. And I know a lot of people who, yeah, for, for whom like the Christian aspect of this means nothing, but they, they're still totally down with, with the visual culture and the ritual culture right. and the iconography. And like, right. there's value to that. You've thought about that more than me. We can talk more. No, about no, that. I, I, I absolutely agree. I 100% agree. The other, um, the other thread I want to chase, po possibly, maybe not, that we could chase is like, what is the subversive core in the actual theology that is right. horrifically avoided by uh, the people who, ironically, you know, are beating the the drum about the war on Christmas and needs to be about Christ, and yet they won't look the the profanity of this idea in the face. Yeah. Right? Right. I think you did name it in basically like, or what's the thing you absolutely have to transgress if you want to get at this idea? Mm-hmm. Mm yeah. Well, it's not the virgin birth, I don't think. I think it is a, it's the incarnation and not in the traditional sense of the way that word is used for me. And this is still just kind of off the top, top of the dome. The incarnation as it actually represents pantheism. Oh, hell yeah. Go off. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that is essentially yes, that, that is like yeah. that. Okay, so if you look at the evolution of, of Judaism, the evolution of religion up to the point of Christianity, where, you know, theologically or philosophically, God is, God is an other. God is a big externalized other yeah. who lives either on Mount Olympus or in, you know, in the clouds, right? Well, yeah. that you can't say that entirely for Judaism. But the idea that, God is a part of the the fabric of life. Yeah. You know, and I, again, this I don't even have the words to express this in a way that isn't isn't profaned or at least damaged by the limitations of language and the limitations of Christian language. Yeah. You know, like they've tried it every which way to to turn the incarnation into of course a a theistic Protestant western construct yeah. right it's like a it's like space jam when the the spirit goes into the alien when when the the juice goes into the aliens and they become the monsters right mm -hmm. that's how how we think of the incarnation it's like yeah. god went and you slipped inside somebody yeah and and crucially like there's basically saran wrap on mary's uterus yeah so it's like he's not actually touching anything right that's that's all wrong <laughs> that's impossible for us to con to conceive and it's not just the virgin birth it's this is more catholic but like the immaculate conception obviously that's a huge workaround bullshit right. workaround right that is completely heretical <laughs> it's like how can you do that right the what the the virgin birth the idea of the, it? more the immaculate conception uh -huh. of mary herself right being sinless isn't that what immaculate conception oh, is no 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 immaculate conception is just same as virgin birth, I believe. I don't know if immaculate conception is sinlessness. Um, no, but again, yes, that's a great point. That that it's all these contrived 
trite theological concepts to explain, over-explain the essential idea. It, it, which it is, is that Mary's free of original sin. Immaculate conception. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> color me not Catholic. But color, then again, color me Lutheran. But then again, if you want to look at another perspective, that's because they're way more cool with Mary than, For than sure. Protestants. Definitely. I think a lot more highly of her. Most so that's why it doesn't make any, yes. any sense to Protestants. But. but even me, as I'm explaining this right now, it, it's it's pushing me to take an ima- like It requires an imaginative detachment from self contained ego yeah. from self-contained perception to to conceive the idea that a human being yeah represents the godhead and not only that it's that one human being that's maybe the big thing that has been stripped systematically stripped yeah from from the narrative yeah right it's it now it's here superman is here that's just says he's so dope he's so cool superman is Look here at these cows like they love they him. they love him they knew right away that he was <laughs> he was tight <laughs> right no it's 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 the look at that they love him he glows he's he literally glowing. glows yeah it's it's the metaphorical poetic expression of humankind's decision or ability to perceive their own godliness exactly which is why the earliest theology which has been completely excised from the church the eastern orthodox version is god became man mm-hmm. so that man could become god right that's the end point <laughs> yeah. of the the christian gospel from that ur orthodox mm-hmm. position is no shit that's the whole point right that's because we're becoming gods we're becoming because because, like, in what universe does it make sense that you have, a like, this differentiated mass of being where, like, there's fallen, lowly human beings and then there's God separated and you just have those essential substances that are always separate and can never be united. Uh-huh. It, it's not a closed loop, right. like, until you understand that, like, it's... In, in this Eastern Orthodox conception, it's like that God breaks apart into the multiplicity of being. Mm-hmm. And in the gospel, starting with the, rec- the incarnation, then comes to a regathering where everything is reunited. Mm-hmm. And as Paul says, that like the whole end point of this reconcilia- reconciliation is that, oh shoot, I just forgot it, uh, that God becomes all in all. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's the whole freaking point. Like right. nothing makes... You don't have a monotheism Mm -hmm. if you have, I'm going on to another conversation here, but like basically all of being split into different splinters, Mm -hmm. right? That's just not monotheism, which is fine. Right. But it's like, if you're going to be a monotheistic religion, you have to believe that there's one thing that eventually reunites all of being. Right. Right. It's, it's a pretty simple idea, but it's absolutely not allowed. Like, it's totally not allowed. I mean, when does that happen? I don't know. Um, do we look at the history of Western art as the progression of, of this particular idea? Or do you look at the, the, the Council of Trent, whatever you want to talk about, for, for these things? But, yeah, this has got me thinking all sorts of things. But, like, I don't want to get too much in the Jesus talk of, of like, man, he... Okay, anyway. But, yes, we're on the same page. That's my point. 
My point is the is the profanity yes. of the idea that we are the same substance. Period. Yeah. Everybody. Right. Baby. Cow. And God. God. Baby cow God. That's the tri that's the Trinity. Yes. New Trinity. Baby cow God. That's why <laughs> cows are sacred and Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And right. Um Kierkegaard has a some parable. I, I can't remember it. I've been trying to remember the details of it, but basically like if you were if a man were riding along, if the, I think it's like there's a dead guy riding a horse and you find his body and he has a note pinned to the inside of his jacket. Mm -hmm. And it says the infinite God became a finite man, that that would be enough, like to basically blow apart the universe. Like that, that's basically the that's the Christmas story of like just the inception of that idea. Right. Of like, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. Perhaps all things are one and are coming back right. to one. Right. That yeah. That that's what it is. Hundred percent. And 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 so and let's let's backtrack. Backtrack to Thomas Kincaid. Sure. And 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 say and look at his quotes. Of which which nobody would probably object with, like, by all accounts are fine. Yeah. <laughs> as far like you could see this in pretty much any anybody's mantle, like even if they don't like Thomas Kincaid, is just the idea. Okay, what we've agreed on is comfort, hospitality kindness right you know mm -hmm. peace for a for the time being or at least happiness right which is fine but it's also not the same thing and also and completely derivative yeah derivative and at least in this context cynical yeah right so the point then is not like Steal it back. Take it back. It's it's only art. Only poetry can provoke or or express or deliver human beings in our predicament to conceiving this idea. It is always nearly impossible to grasp this, you know, on a daily basis. That's why we have holidays. That's why we have rituals. That's why we have religion, mm -hmm. right? I'm gonna I'm gonna rant right now. No, and that's why you have a gospel story, like that's the, why you have the, a story, the birth narratives, right? Um, so go back to the let's get back to God, man. Hold on, okay. Jk, the, there's one other um, one other avenue I was I was thinking of of like why any of these ideas have become inaccessible. Number one is because. Like, the pantheist idea is absolutely anathema. Forbidden. You're not allowed to do that. Right. Um, it number is, two... It is, it is completely antithetical to our perception of the world. Right. Even though what you end up with there is basically our, like... Our a, ideological perception of the world. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other route you could go to, down is, like, what is Advent? It's the to come, right? Right. That's what Advent is. That's what an adventure is. To, to come into the unknown for something new. Hang to... on. I'm just looking for somebody who likes adventures. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'd be lying if I said and I, I hadn't tried to do a wordplay on the word advent. 
an adventure in a Twitter bio at some time in my life. That's fine. Um, but basically, yeah, it's the to come, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea that something new is is going to come in to reality. Yep. Uh, as far as my Googling went, I could not figure out if avant-garde <laughs> meant this. I'm sure it does. I mean, I it's, mean it, it's the vanguard, right? It's like avant-garde is like the front lines, right? Right. right. But nonetheless. Well, we should just look up what guard don't, don't worry about that. Okay. Don't worry about that. But the Advent idea is, is about the new coming in to reality, right? Uh, in a way that's unpredictable, right? Right. But the idea of Advent is just an openness to things changing, right? That, like, you recognize the place of misery or stuckness that you're in. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say, like, the place we're in now in our times... I don't want to overplay misery, like, because there's so many things that are good about my life, and people experience a lot more misery than I do. But nonetheless, we're definitely stuck. Whatever you want to say, we are definitely stuck. We're stuck. In a bizarre loop. Feedback loop. And the spirit of Advent is an openness to something to come and disrupt it. Right. That's a fundamentally... By definition, unconservative idea, yeah. which is where Thomas Kincaid is, you know, most in his hackery. Like, hold on, hold on, and most blinded to. Sorry, right? Is that we can come back to this, but like, it's it's a fundamentally unconservative idea mm-hmm. because you're not trying to conserve anything. You're not trying to hold everything in the place that it's in, and that's you know, the moment we need to be in in history and with this country is like there's nothing like things need to change and we need to be open to yeah what will change it right as scary as that is for sure 100 percent. that's okay i'm not going to get into all tying in all the different spiritual elements of that but okay so here's one of the ideas from fluxus they're not very good this this one is decent though fluxus is not popping for me as much as dada it's not a good name yeah go on Okay, it's so too thought through. something simple. It's something Fluxus, simple. Fluxus like is too these are ide- these are these are like recommendations, Christmas recommendations from Fluxus. Okay, it, it sounds like a dietary supplement. Or like yeah, or like a pr- procedure that you get. I got Fluxus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't poop anymore. Sorry, <laughs> There's guys. pee in my poop yeah. now. I told you about my Fluxus. <laughs> okay, poop, so poop has tested positive for pee. <laughs> All right. Walk out into a forest when it is winter and decorate all the spruces with burning candles, flags, apples, glass balls, and tinsel strings. And walk out into a forest and wrap some drab trees or yourself in tinsel. <laughs> so, like, I'll take the latter, please. Obviously, not that thought through, but the simple idea of like you, even on an individualistic level, we'll. we'll to cut the cultural conversation off, you know, of this idea of changing the macro culture. What would happen if you tried to create different rituals for yourself where you, where you wrap tinsel around yourself? It wouldn't do much. But the point is that it, it's disruptive in some way. And, and again, this isn't... The ultimate goal is like what we've been talking about. But... 
avant-garde art in general doesn't necessarily have this grandiose vision that we have the steps. We're taking the steps we need to take to get there. It's simply we're taking steps away from the status quo and seeing where it goes. You know, that's it. That's all we can do. That's all we can control is these small, tiny steps that we make as individuals that somehow transform our reality. Right. I don't think wrapping tinsel in yourself is necessarily the best way to do it. (laughs) I mean, mean, come on. Well, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think just putting it into my own terms... We're, we're stuck in a configuration of reality that that is like become completely entrenched mm-hmm. right and the, the experience of like art I think for me has been uh, that reality can be configured in so many other ways right that's what like that's part of the lesson it teaches is like there's so many other possibilities for the way for you to think about this and to approach life and mm-hmm. to approach the world has a lot of very important political uh, results, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so rituals are just one like one way that we're going to structure reality and think about things. So any way where you can play with that recipe is good. Mm-hmm. Wrapping tinsel around yourself is probably not going to stick, but you never know what will. Right, you know, and that's kind of the point is like to play with play with reality and try and try and think like. Just cook something else up. <laughs> like, there's yeah. so many other ways to approach this construction. Right. And um, I, I told you I've been thinking about, like, a project of for the next year of going out and drawing the same something uh-huh. or from the same place every year. And part of what I hope, like, my kind of thesis with it or why I think it could be worthwhile is, like, is to basically to test this hypothesis about ours, like, even even if I went and stood in the exact same place and drew the or painted or whatever the exact same thing, the varieties of way you could construct the reality you see is infinite, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I think is instructive is like is to get at like the vastness of the world and the vastness of possibilities that even if you're looking at the exact same tree or rock or whatever, like the depth of it is infinite. Right. The way that you can see it, approach it, like, is, yeah, is infinitely constructible and reconstructable, which would be extremely freeing to then, like, apply that to our historical situation or political situation. Right. Like, we're not as stuck as we think we are. Right. In a time when it's like, there's only one way to have conversations about this and only two only two sides to choose and only two right. two perspectives to have. Yeah. Um, so that would be my hope. I mean, it's it's obviously... That's exactly it. Stands, yeah, it could fall hard, but I'm trying to find a good tree to, you know, that would be worthy. Do <laughs> <Dude>, Christmas tree. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, don't do that. I don't know if I'm ready for that sort of intensity, but... Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Um... I don't necessarily have a plan. We'll say that. I don't normally have a plan. But I like to get the spark. Like like to get the conversation going. Um, let's see. Any favorite Christmas 
Christmas content for you, Ben? I love Elf. <laughs> no, I'm actually, you know what I've noticed has emerged in the past couple of years is saying that you don't like Elf as a as a personality trait. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I, I haven't like no, Elf. I haven't noticed that. All the um, Christmas content. Um, Die Hard. Yeah, dude. Nice. Um, not really, I guess. I do agree that, like, in some ways it's less corruptible than Good Friday or Easter, which are have been so infinitely flattened because there is just, like, every church, every pastor is, like, this is this is our moment to this shine. Script. Like, this is we where go. we hit all of our marks. Yep. Um, and five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> um, that, shuffle ball, change box, square. <laughs> Step shuffle ball, change. Uh, but jazz square, not box square. Christmas has such more of a visual and aesthetic culture built around it that it is. It just has way more juice and way more like yeah, way more momentum on its own. Yeah. Owing to no credit to the like deep thinkers of the evangelical church, right? I mean, definitely not. Um, because I have moments where it's like, time times when it's like I'm ready to check out completely and have gotten roped back by Christmas. Yeah, which is very interesting it because is, right? it's so theologically they're not really giving you much. No, it's because it stands on its own. Yeah. I think I think it does, and and but they still manage to fuck it up, <laughs> like, and that's because it's told, and the way that, the way that they tell it, is or or the way that they it's needed to be expressed is you just have to say it loud enough, you just have to say it clear enough, and like, like you said, hit all the right points, emphasize that this is, the greatest story ever told. You you know you know that, that that's something that they say. <laughs> they say this. This yeah. is the greatest story ever told, and it will break through. Oh, uh, really? The, have you seen Star Wars? That is second to the greatest story ever told. Don't you dare! Mm. I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. I don't but know. But when you put that above Jesus Christ in my household, I put Lord of the Rings above <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. It's it's that it. I don't know if it's necessarily because it's it's treated as literal truth that is the problem or that it is simply because it is it is told in a way that is strictly ideological, right? That it is meant to, well, at least it, the sum total of what is the goal of, of telling the Christmas story in an evangelical church is to sort of jumpstart the dogmatic ideological narrative, right? Right. So I think that the power of Christmas, of the Christmas narrative, is in spite of the dogmatic implications that are placed upon it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Um, so it must be destroyed. <laughs> we must destroy Christmas. Yeah. I mean... And maybe COVID will do that so that what we have left is like, oh, well, in 2020, we didn't go to a Christmas service and we haven't gone back since. Right. So what's left of Christmas is snowmen 
and Santa, and it's like the worst nightmare of yeah. Kirk Cameron. Like, right. that would be cool. Um, yeah, in some ways. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, uh, it, it's 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 very interesting because now I'm trying to understand like what what it does, what is the actual theological import. I think it's interesting to just take, just look at the sermons, and it's like, all right, we're all here from Luke, right? We're gonna we're gonna rely hard on Luke right. because that's the way we approach this is like historians. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, email thread I shared with you, mm-hmm. I brought up a point about with someone of an evangelical background about like I've read the Gospel of Mark dozens and dozens of times straight through, just to try and understand what are you trying to tell me about right. this person? Yeah, and I can tell you he's not saying anything you're saying. Right. And his point was like, well. Like, yeah, but, like, the Gospels are just a record of what happened. So where do you get the fucking theology from? From Paul. Yeah. Right, from Paul. Yeah. But that doesn't matter to them because they don't see the pieces. Like, anyways, but... But only halfway from Paul. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, and the exact analogy is, like, as if it were... Like, this is like recounting the exact play-by-play of a soccer game. It doesn't tell you anything about the strategy. So that's what we're here for. Exactly. It's like, that's awesome. So, like, by the way, I have a lot more respect for this book than you do. Right. Just trying to understand one person, what they're saying, or right. or a group of people. Right. But anyways, Gospel of Mark doesn't have an incarnation story, right? right. But it does hold a lot of the, like, it has a lot of the, it gets more to the theological heart of it, of, like, Hey, uh, this is the person who's supposed to represent your whole mission. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the per- the anointed person who is going to fix everything, and they get k- killed. Right. Everything goes to shit. Right. The end. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's way more to the point right. than Luke of, like, trying to tell you the details. Yeah. Anyways. No, yeah, for sure. Um, that's That's absolutely true. I mean... You've you've uh, been listening to Magic Camp. We're not. We don't have to wrap up of to a um, synoptic gospel episode of Magic Camp. I don't know where to end this. I feel like we've we've charted into deep waters here. How are we gonna wade our way back out? Um, Maybe we cling to Thomas Kincaid. Or we talk about Charlie Brown Christmas Clean again. To Kincaid. See, that's a thing, and I'll, I'll keep. I'll. We don't have to end here, but I will say that I, I, I don't think it's imp- like because of what we said that this is a fruitful narrative. That that, that there is still meaning to it that mm-hmm. is palatable and understandable to yeah. to like a modern mind. And and we have these things in the culture where we can point to and say, okay, some like somebody did something here that worked. Charlie Brown Christmas. Not gonna lie, it's good. Very good. It's very good. Thank but you, Charles. Think about it like when it happened, when it came out. Those cartoons, Charlie Brown Christmas, or all of them. If you watch them, they're really weird. They're very strange. Yeah. You know, they're this weird blend of very kind of flawed human elements and then also like contrived uh technology of like cartoon animation 
mm-hmm. you know, where it'll have like these tender child voices, like who are, who are like saying these lines, and then you'll get a sort of looped audio track of like the sound of Charlie Brown when he yells, when he goes, <laughs> like it's clearly like yeah. one sound that they loop over and over again. Yeah. And, and it's this bizarre feeling you get when you watch them that, that, I mean, now it's nostalgic for me, but I think there is some element to it that challenges your imagination in some way or another, you know, and put jazz on top of that jazz, at least in its early form is an avant-garde art form. Yeah. You know, avant-garde Christmas or jazz Christmas is in itself an innovation, right? So it doesn't have to be some Dadaist war on Christmas where you're deconstructing every symbol necessarily, but it is a a reimagination, you know? So at the very least, artists, take note. Yeah. Charles Schultz. Do your homework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think you hit it all. I think if I were trying to tie together the two things in my head, I do, I am like, oh man, it's already uh, almost Christmas. And I, I would like to think a little more about that actual deep subversive idea of like the pantheistic idea. Like, it's incredibly profane. There's and there's a reason why that is never allowed to rise to your consciousness, right. even though it's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second of like, maybe this of all the Christmases we've had, uh, this would be the most prescient moment to take stock of the Advent idea right. of waiting and with open arms for. What's Something next? unexpected to come, right? And and trash the present and the status quo, right? And man, like, yeah, uh, I think of all the the growing I've done over the past couple of years, the ultimate culmination is like, is like, time to let go, time to let go yeah. of 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 this country, <laughs> like, yeah, they it cannot go on, like we've reached the the moment of collapse mm-hmm. and. Uh, too many people are still desperately clinging to the scraps, mm-hmm. and the only way for it is to like receive whatever's gonna come next. Which I, I realize, as I say, is not necessarily going to be good. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. Um, I think there's no way around that. Scary. Yeah. No, I hear you. Especially when you're considering that what that actually means in historical biblical terms is the advent the advent for the israelites was not really i mean was jesus but you mean jews (laughs) not the the israelites the israelis no (laughs) the israelites are a nation a nationality not you mean the israelites is a is a biblical word yeah but but that's still referring to their nationality I think you know who I mean. The Judeans. <laughs> the Jews. You're screwing me up. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I might be wrong, honestly. Keep going. The, the, real, the real advent, the to come of the Gospels. All right. Now I'm about to tie it together. Okay. Okay. 
the actual to come, if you take the whole arc of the Gospels, is not just like Jesus getting born, right? Uh-huh. That's not much going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even just the crucifixion, whatever spiritual, metaphysical things are supposed to happen. The real full arc of what is what is the thing that we're saying is going to come at the beginning of the gospel stories that finally comes at the end of the gospel stories, it's the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm. That's what the gospels are about, is the end of the second temple or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. second temple period, and the destruction of the, Jerus- of the temple in Jerusalem, the mm. carting away of all that stuff <laughs> that was in there. <laughs> Ark of the Covenant. And the dispersion of the Judeans to the winds to the places where they are today, right? I don't know. I mean, that's what I... I hadn't heard that before. That's what I would say is like that the Gospels in their full arc are about Uh is about the fall of Jerusalem. Uh Absolutely. Right. I'll I'll take you to the map. You're probably right. About this. You're probably right. That, okay. I I need to say a little more about that. No, you should. That is the shocking thing is like, what is the to come of Advent? Mm. What's the thing that's coming? Uh-huh. Not just Jesus in the abstract. It's not even just salvation in the abstract. It is the fall of Jerusalem. Mm. That's what that's the that is the narrative arc of, of all the gospels. Mm. And the so, whole New Testament is the fall of Jerusalem. What is the to come that we are facing right now? Man. I think we should Campers. What if you did a painting with Mary getting a vaccine. <laughs> uh, the two come is the fall of the American empire. Bam. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Right. If you're going to take anything from this Christmas, it's what would it look like if that happened? Allow yourself to imagine it. Right. And, and, and it's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Yeah. But also imagine and remember the fact that that is the way. That is the way of literally every every civilization that has ever existed on on the planet Earth. Right. Two hundred years is long enough. <laughs> Three hundred years. That's longer than most. Yeah. We gave it a good run. Not really. Think about how the either the Israelites or the Romans felt at the apex or the apex before the decline of their own empires. That. You could only express these things through metaphor, through through religious iconography. Yeah, you know right. that 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 captured the utter terror and the utter need for imagination, for hope. Right. That is required. Right. In the face of that, right. Right. An apocalypse. Like An apocalypse. That An apocalypse only is... apocalyptic poetic language would suffice to to express right sort of change that's needed yeah yeah i mean damn dude i think we figured it out um that's just one part of it but yeah i what what time are we at here we're we're definitely over in an hour yeah let's let's just double check for the camper's sake i think we may be further along than that hour 35 you think that's a good place to wrap up? Sure. Should we call it good? Unless you want to have... I, I don't really have a final uh, rant or, or thesis here. I, I think we've gone in the direction that I w- wanted to go. Um, let's see here. Maybe we can just ponder for a second. 
see if we can end on a meaningful note. Um, I don't have any profound thoughts. Try not to lecture people. Preach. Let the preachers be damned. <laughs> String them up. No, just kidding. Preachers I, are fine. Only preacher, <laughs> preacher I want to hear from is Friar Linus. Is it Linus? Yep, that's right. Friar Linus. It's too bad we don't have that clip queued up. That's that right. Yeah. Um, Your impression was good enough. Yeah, Linus is a cute kid. Um, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. What, what, what better spirit of Christmas do you need? An utter sad sack <laughs> who can't get hope out of anything. Yeah. Who, who is so, who's so weighed down and constantly conflicted by his own insecurity and fear. Unable to realize the beauty of himself or of the world around him. Yeah. But also in his sort of lowliness, his depression that he's constantly under, that makes him closer to the ground. That's that right. Charlie Brown is more capable of, of understanding the, the nativity because of his closeness to the ground. Because of his depression. That's right. And indeed he often cranes his head over and looks at the ground. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now take this parable. Okay. Imagine this. Uh, one day. <laughs> How do I put this? Uh, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown has a dream that he has sex with the dude. What? He wakes up and he's pregnant with the son of God. Okay. And he gives birth to the Son of God, to God incarnate. That's basically the same as the gospel. That's awesome. That is so cool. He, he, he Charlie Brown, who's a low to the earth, who's spent his... Just a his lowly days, child. <laughs> lowly. He, a, a terrible pitcher at he's, that. He spent his days flipping through the air after missing the football, <laughs> laying on his back and looking at the sky, is the vessel of God. Right? Yeah. The vessel in which God manifests is the only way that God can be adequately summarized is through a person, right? Yeah, that's it. That is it. You have to be able to go there. That's what I would like you to see. You have to be able to say that Charlie Brown had the gave min- birth to Jesus Christ. The minute I see, yeah, when I see a Charlie Brown special on air on network TV where he gives birth to the Son of God, then I'll know we're getting it. Right? And that'll be the new cultural uh-huh. <laughs> cultural uh, iconography. iconography. Yeah. Charlie Brown in a manger. Or or giving birth in a manger. Yeah. <laughs> See now I get what um what's that guy's name? Shit. The uh Ben Sinister Shapiro. Monopoly. Now I get what what oh. Sinister Monopoly is all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just twisting these traditional icons and narratives. Isn't it the opposite though? It's it's that. Oh, what if all your favorite, your favorite uh, iconographic characters are dirtbags? Right. To what if what if all these lowly cartoons are actually God and expressions Karn. of the Godhead? Right. Amen. Yeah. So what that's about exactly that? it. 
But are those two things not also? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Um, oh well, that's a separate conversation. Uh, that's really all I got. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna allow for a temporary ceasefire on December twenty fifth of the war on Christmas. But it begins December twenty sixth for the war on Christmas of twenty twenty one. Twenty one. Okay. Yeah. So man your battle stations. Send your ideas to magiccamp at gmail.com mm-hmm. um, for how we could, you know, what, what it would take. If you have animation skills and you're, you're capable of giving some mock, mock-ups of Charlie Brown giving birth to Jesus, here's let us I'm, know. Here's what I'm thinking. Kirk Cameron, I know you're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sending you a script, and I think you'd be the perfect person to play Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I can play Charlie Brown. No, I can play Charlie That's Brown. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, this has been Magic Camp, a special Christmas Advent episode. Uh, it's a podcast about art and power and also Christianity and Buddhism and Taoism. Yeah. And power. It certainly looks that way. For anybody with a little bit of extra time after school, join us. We know you don't have a lot of schools a little bit easier right now. You're at home anyway. So mm-hmm. join us after school. Yeah. Um, next time. Merry ha- Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy holidays. <laughs> and happy Hanukkah too. <laughs> yeah. See ya.